0: Holy Spirit, please come and minister to us. We all need to hear a desperate word from you. We come from many places and seasons needing to hear from you, God. So speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. Well, I'm excited this morning to continue our generosity series. And uh, I'm at the age right now where where many of my peers, many of my friends are uh, having children, considering that. And one of the things that comes up is, you know, will I be able to afford this? Will I be able to actually be afford having children? Um, And not that I think that that is, you know, maybe the primary thing that we should be worried about or anything, but it definitely is a valid concern. Um, Because every parent recognizes that when they bring a child into the world, you're going to be bearing full responsibility for at least 18 years, if not more, for all of their bills, for their food, for their diapers, for sporting equipment, for all kinds of things. And it's, it's getting pretty, it gets pretty crazy, and every parent agrees with this and says amen. amen. It's a lot. It's a big responsibility. You know, and I think there's wisdom in considering taking that on. And I thank God that my parents, they lovingly provided all that I ever needed and more. They met all my needs. You know, growing up in a family where your needs are provided for, where you're taken care of, is, is such a wonderful blessing of God. Um, it's, 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 excuse me this morning. I think it's something that we all long for, that we're created for. And I think uh, being part of a church is like that. It's like being in a spiritual family. We are supposed to be a family where everyone is is deeply known, is intimately cared for, and all of their needs are met. We're a spiritual family. No one should be in a church where their needs aren't being practically met by the loving care of their brothers and sisters. And when you become part of a local church family, In essence, you need to be thinking about like those parents are, about taking on the responsibility of taking care of your brothers and sisters in Christ. When you become part of a church, you think about taking on the care of those who you are in community with. So it's not something to enter into lightly. It's something to consider. It's to recognize the privilege we have of taking care of each other in the church. And this isn't a fancy definition, but I think this this helps me understand it. The church is a Christian family. That loves each other so much that money is freely given and everyone takes care of each other. It's not a fancy theological definition, but it's, I just think it helps. That is what a Christian family should be. That we freely give of our money, our time, our talents, our possessions, so that everyone is taken care of and ministered to. And I'm, I'm going to assume this morning that I don't really need to motivate you to be like that because I know you and I know you're like that. I know that this, this faith covenant family, you get this. That when people are in need, you, you come surrounding, you take, we take care of each other here. So I'm going to assume that you don't need a lot of motivation from me. But I hope that my, my words this morning could, could remind us and spur us on to do even more. Because the more that we freely give to one another, the more that we can share in the common ministry that God has called us to do. And so this morning, I want to try to be as intensely practical as I can. And I want, I want to think about how can we be a loving church that takes care of each other? How can we do it? So I'm going to give you kind of seven quick points on this. So you're going to want to take some notes. This is how to it, because I'm assuming you want to do this. So number one, claim nothing is your own and share everything you have. Claim nothing is your own and share everything you have. Let's be inspired by the early church. Acts 4.32, it says this. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Can you put yourself in the, in the shoes of those early disciples, those early follower of Jesus? They've just joined this exciting new movement that's going to change the world. And, and the, one of their first instincts is we have to share everything that we have with each other. Because it's kind of us against the world. We're on a mission. We need to take care of each other. And this, this wasn't a command that was given. They didn't need to have this told to them. This was something that they naturally did. They naturally did this. This was something that they did because they loved each other so much that it just seemed like the natural thing to do. And I think this is true because when you're in the family, everything is shared. When you're in the family, everything is shared. When I married Laura, my wife, I didn't say to her, well, this is my money that I've made and you can't touch any of that. Or this isn't my car, even though I like to drive differently than you, you can't drive my car. No, I didn't say that. I said, no, what's mine is yours except for what you order at the drive-thru. I really want to eat my food. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the one rule we've made. You can't eat my food from the drive-thru. No, but we share everything. Mi su casa. We become one. We become family. And when Christians, we, when we talk about generosity, uh, I, you hear this all the time, you're almost always reminded that everything you have is God's. Right? You're almost always reminded that everything you have is God's. It all belongs to Him. But how often are you reminded that we all belong to each other? that we all belong to the same family, and that what God has given me is actually available to you because we're in the same family. And I think we need to recapture this, this mikasa sukasa idea in the church, that my car is available to you if you need it, that my house, my bed, my extra possessions, it's available to you if you need it. Let's take it a step further. My money is available to you if you need it. Because we're in the same family. When you're in the family, everything is shared. Think about the things you own. Think about the money in your bank account. Can you begin to detach yourself from it and say, because I'm a part of God's family, it's available for anyone in the family who needs it. That's what being a part of a loving church family who takes care of each other needs to be. The second thing we need to do is that we need to use use your money and your stuff to meet each other's needs. Again, from the early church in Acts 4, It says this, it says, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. You see, when God's grace is poured out on a church community, everyone's needs are met through abundant generosity. Can you even imagine being part of a church where people actually sold property? They sold a home, they sold something they owned of extreme value and brought it to the leaders of the church and said, use this for anybody who has need. Can you imagine being a part of a church that would do that? It's incredible. In Luke, he records the story of a man who did that named Barnabas. He, he sells a field and he donates it all and brings it to the apostles' feet. I believe, you know, I think Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he records this story because we need to hear stories of generosity. We need to be spurred on by each other's excelling in generosity and giving. And so uh, I won't name any names, but I, I want to tell a story. I know, I know someone in our church who... Uh, they, they have an extra car available, and they're not, they're not selling it because they want to be able to donate it to somebody who might need it. They don't, they don't care about any profit from their car. They're, they want to donate it to a family who needs transportation. We need to hear stories like this of what people are doing in our church. There are, and I, I could tell you so many. There are people in our church who give so sacrificially behind the scenes of money, of time, that make things happen in our church. And it's incredible. And I wish I could tell you more. William Barclay puts it this way in about the early church. It says, They had an intense sense of responsibility for each other. This awoke in them a real desire to share all they had. Gosh, when you have a sense of responsibility that I'm responsible for you and what you need, that we're in the family together, it awakes in us a desire to help each other, to meet each other's needs. So the third thing that we can do to increase our generosity is to shift from burden to blessing. To shift from burden to blessing. In the church, I believe we, all, we have to fight the temptation to view gi- viewing giving as a burden. And remember that it's actually a blessing. I'm going to pull from the Apostle Paul here in 2 Corinthians, uh, in chapter 8. And the context here is that Paul, he, he, uh, in one part of his ministry, he was going around to all the Gentile churches and he was collecting money for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And so he's going around to churches collecting money and he's writing to the Corinthians about this collection. This is what he says. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So how God has poured out his grace on the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty Welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. It's an amazing example of generosity. And so Paul, he is collecting this money and he goes to the Macedonian churches. And he's he's saying, how mind-boggling is it that the Macedonian Christians... They had their own, he says, extreme poverty. talking about extreme poverty here. And they're enduring a severe trial. He's talking about persecution. They're urgently pleaded in the the midst of all that. They come to the Apostle Paul and they, what do they do? They urgently plead with him. What? How can you even imagine that? They're this extreme poor church. They're in extreme poverty and persecution, and they come to the Apostle Paul. We are pleading with you, Paul, that we would have the opportunity to give to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Give us the opportunity. How often do you see Christians pleading for the opportunity to give? Do you see that much? Why would these poor Christians do that? I'll tell you why. They knew it was a privilege. They knew it was a privilege. Look what it says in verse, well, I don't think it, you have in your Bible, but if you want to look in your Bible, 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 4. It says they knew it was a privilege. And I believe they, they truly believe the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that it is better, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Would you say that with me? It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's straight from the teachings of Jesus. And the Macedonians, they believed that. They really believed that with all they had. That even in their poverty, it'd be more blessed for them to give than to receive something. And I believe we all need to make this shift in our thinking when it comes to giving. We've got to stop thinking of giving as a burden and start thinking of it as a blessing. You know, when you don't view giving as a blessing, giving is no fun. It's a burden. We say, oh, you know, the oh man, world vision's asking for money again. Oh man, I got another letter in the mail for support. Ah, oh, the church is asking for money again. Ah, oh, this weekly, this weekly giving it's such a pain. What could I do with all that money? Oh, that's no fun. That that takes all the joy out of it, doesn't it? It becomes a burden in our lives. But we need to we need to stop, we need to shift our thinking from burden to blessing. And the Macedonians, they help us because they have the opposite view. You know, they didn't live in a country like we do with all the technology and wealth that, that we have. You know, they were, they were in extreme poverty, facing persecution for their faith. You know, that's a time where I would think, that's a time to kind of make sure your own needs are met. That your own family is kind of taken care of. You know, like, hey, we need, we need your help. But God gave them the grace to give even when they had their own needs. Why? Because they viewed it as a privilege to take care of each other. They viewed it as a privilege. It's a privilege to get to take care of God's people. It's an opportunity it's a blessing, not a burden. And it says that they viewed it as a privilege to do the sharing. The sharing. Now that word sharing, in the Greek, it's the word koinonia. That word for fellowship that you often hear, for community, for partnership. And so we're saying when you become part of God's family, you're entering into a partnership with God's family everywhere. With Christians everywhere. You become, a, you become part of something that's bigger than yourself. You become part of the family. And so the Macedonians, they express this fellowship by by ministering, by serving the Lord's people. Because the reality is, our brothers and sisters in Christ, these are Jesus' people. When you serve each other, you're serving the Lord himself. Isn't it a privilege to serve each other, and by doing so, serve Jesus who gave us everything? Doesn't that help us shift it from burden to blessing, that we get to share in that? You know, I didn't have this in my sermon notes, but when I saw that video this morning, I was just thinking about this. What a privilege that we could get to share what God is doing in Kazakhstan. That is a privilege to give, that we get to partner with what God is doing and bless our brothers and sisters. It's a blessing, not a burden. The fourth thing that we can do is we can learn to excel at giving. We can learn to excel at giving. 2 Corinthians 8.7 says this. Since you excel in everything, Paul's saying to the church, in faith and speech and knowledge in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Again, the context is, you know, Paul's collecting this money. He's collecting money for the churches in Jerusalem who are poor. Uh, but he's saying, you know, you're a church, you're doing all kinds of things well. You know, you're you're excelling in your faith, in your speech, and your knowledge, in your love. But make sure, make sure you don't leave out excelling in the grace of giving. Don't leave that part out, Paul says. I mean, how many churches put being good at giving at the top of their priority list? How many do that? How many Christians put being good at giving part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? (laughs) We we talk about, you uh, you know, praying and reading our Bible. We need to add giving right on the top of that. Being good at giving is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to excel at it, to make sure that you're a really, really good giver, to overflow with generosity. And so I think to excel at this, it calls us for continual improvement. Uh, One story I heard of someone who I think uh, exemplifies this, who excels at giving, is uh, the pastor of Saddleback Church, Rick Warren. And he talks about early on in his marriage, I believe from the start, he, uh, him and his wife, Kay, decided that they would increase their giving every year. Well, they started at 10, and the next year is 11, the next year is 12. And he started out as a young church planner in Southern California. And there were times where it was tough. There wasn't much food in the cupboard, but they continued to excel at giving and increase their giving anyway. And then years later, decades later, uh, Rick Warren writes the best-selling nonfiction hardback book of all time, Outside the Bible called The Purpose Driven Life. And he begins, I mean, money just starts pouring in, right? I mean, this guy has probably made a ton of money off The Purpose Driven Life. It sold millions and millions of copies. Sold more than any other book outside the Bible. In fact, it's been translated. It's the number two translated book outside the Bible. Or sorry, it's, it's Bible's number one, Purpose Driven Life is number two. Translation in the world. That's what kind of success this book has had. And so someone once asked Rick Warren, Why do you think God allowed you to write the best-selling book, nonfiction book of all time? And Rick's response was, because God knew he could trust me with the money. I had a track record of giving and increasing my giving to God. And after making all that money, you know what Rick Warren did? He tallied up how much the church had paid him over his decades of ministry. And he donated all that money back. And then they began to reverse tithe they began to give away 90% of their income. And then they upped it again to 91. And for years, I think they may be at 91, maybe they're at 92 now. And uh, as, of, as of a sermon in 2015, he still wore a watch from Walmart, and he still drove a 15-year-old Ford truck and lived in the same house. He didn't up his standard of living, he upped his standard of giving. That, that is an example of someone who has excelled at giving in the Christian life. It's growing our capacity on a regular basis to give. I mean, can you imagine how much our churches would thrive if every family made a commitment to excel in the grace of giving and generosity? How about you? Will you choose to excel to be good in the grace of giving? So we excel at giving. Number five, we can shift from guilt to love. Shift from guilt to love. Second Corinthians, again, continuing in our passage here, verses, uh, eight or chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You know, giving, it's not about law. It's not about a command. Paul doesn't command the Corinthians to give. You know, giving in the Christian church, it's it's not a have to, it's a want to, it's a get to, because we so love God and we so love each other that we want to give. So the way out of guilt and law-based giving is to, again, to remember the grace and love that we've been given in Jesus Christ. Though he had everything in heaven, the glory, the glory, of being in the triune God, the Son of God, left heaven and became one of us to live a humble life here. And because of his suffering, because of his death on the cross, because of breaking his body and shedding his blood, he has made us rich in every way in the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. He has raised us up to be seated with Christ. He has given us everything that we need. He became poor so that we might become rich. God so Loved that he what gave, he gave his one and only son. It's not about it's not a command here, this is about love. Can Christians so love the world that they give? Can Christians so love each other that they give and give and give? Our church, you know, our church here, we practice membership. We believe it's important to make commitments to each other, to be in covenant with one another. Um, and so, one of those commitments we make is if you don't remember, if you signed that document, you know, four decades ago, one of those commitments is to support each other financially, to support what God is doing here. Um, and, I, you know, I think when uh, we give to the offering in our church, we do a really good job of reminding each other of like that's an act of worship, that we're dedicating that to God, that we're giving that to God. But I also want you to, to expand that to think about when you give to the church, it's an act of love to your brothers and sisters in Christ. That you're taking care of each other. That you're meeting the needs of the church. That you, that you want to make sure that the building needs are met. That there is heat on when we come in this morning. That, that you, want, you want the ministries here to thrive. You want children's ministries to thrive and youth ministry to thrive. And you want all the ministries of our church to excel. So when you put that money in the offering or when you give online, you want to think about that as an act of love to your brothers and sisters in Christ that you've made a commitment to. Because it's about love. It's not about a command. And um, this is what Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, this is true of giving in the church as well. I'm not up here trying to command you. The church isn't commanding you or com- you know, put you under compulsion. No, we want you to cheerfully give. We don't want you to reluctantly give or, or be, feel like you're forced to. This is, we're, we're being part of a loving family here. That's what it's about. And so you might ask, well, what, well, what about percentage giving? That's kind, of, that's kind of something the church talks about. Um, you know, I'll be honest, in the church membership, it doesn't, it, we don't ask for a percentage. We just ask you to give generously to support the work, work of the church. Uh, but God, he does look at our percentage. He does look at the proportion we give. And this leads me to number six that we need to give in proportion to what we have. Give in proportion to what you have. 2 Corinthians 8.12 says, For if the willingness is there, the the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. You know, you might be here this morning and you're wondering, how am I going to be so generous? I want to be generous. I want to give to my church. I want to give to what God is doing in the world. But we're struggling right now. We're struggling financially for for whatever reason it is. You want to be loving. You want to be generous. Well, here's the good news for you. If God sees your heart, God sees that desire, and God knows what's in your bank account. He knows what's in your wallet. And he sees what you give in proportion to what you have. And he accepts your gift in proportion to that. So, be, so let that just be encouragement to you that you don't have to feel so guilty if you're, if you're struggling here today, that we actually want to meet your needs, we want to help you, we want to support you, and that you don't have to wallow around in guilt because God knows. He knows your heart and he knows what's going on. Now on the other hand, to those who have more, more is expected. Jesus, he wasn't too impress, impressed with the rich people who gave out of all their excess to the temple. He says, look at these rich people giving. They give out of their excess. But look at the widow who put in everything she had. That communicates love. That communicates love. That she so loves God, she's going to give all she has. So that lesson, that teaches us that God looks at the percentage, the proportion of how he has blessed us. That's how he's going to evaluate our giving in the end. And finally this morning, how can we be a church that lovingly takes care of each other is this. Live so generously that others will give thanks to God for you. <laughs> Live so generously that others will give thanks to God for your life. You know, Paul tells the Corinthians, hey, I'm coming, make sure the gift is ready, make sure the money is ready when I come, prepare it ahead of time, get ready. And then he talks about the this, this sowing versus reaping principle, which I don't have time to get into right now, but essentially he's saying God is going to bless you at all times, he's going to provide for you so that you can always be generous. And then he says this in 2 Corinthians 9, talking about their giving, this service, this giving that you perform. It's not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. See, Paul's saying, not only are you taken care of, some real legitimate needs of the church family, other people are beginning to give thanks to God for you. They're worshiping God because of your generosity. What if we made that a goal for ourselves? Make it a goal that people will thank God for you because of how generous you are. May they thank God that you were entrusted with riches and not somebody else. And may we make that our goal as a church that our, the surrounding communities around us, the neighborhoods, we in Warrenville and the surrounding areas, may they give thanks to God that Faith Covenant was here because of how generous we were, because of how giving we were. May people in Kazakhstan worship God because of how generous Faith Covenant Church was. May people all around the world, missionaries we support, all kinds of things that we do, may the kids that grow up in this church, may they give thanks to God because of how generous you were in their lives. This morning, I'm going to ask the choir to come forward, and they're going to help us respond in worship. And they're going to be singing, Be Thou My Vision, which this is just, this is a song and a text that can, that can help us meditate on, on giving everything we have, our, our, our riches we heed not. And so as they come and they sing, I just invite you to, to do some introspection, to have some time with the Lord, to reflect on your own giving, how God has blessed you and how God, how the Spirit might be speaking to you even now. And how he might be calling you to excel in the grace of giving that others might love and praise God. And, we, and let me remind you too, we, I'm, we're doing a sermon series on this because God has been so generous to us. That's the gospel. Because God has so loved us, we respond to his love that he's given us. Choir, please come.